What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. Today's episode is music-themed, a little different than maybe something that I would normally have done. I was looking for a New Year's-themed episode, and today we are talking about Mariah Carey. So I don't think you can really see. You might be able to tell if you're watching. My my shirt is sparkly. I've got all my bling. I did like my normal glam, and I was like, I'm going to channel Miss Mariah Carey for this episode. So, of course, what I'm going to do is start out with my sources like I've been doing at the beginning. Obviously, I'll mention them throughout the episode. I don't think I have any major announcements other than if you are not already signed up for the Patreon, you might want to do that because on the first of every month going forward, starting in the new year, there's going to be a bonus episode. So January 1st, you'll get a bonus episode. February 1st, you'll get a bonus episode, so on and so forth. If you're signed up for the sexy skeptic tier, so make sure that you're doing that and I will keep you guys updated. So let's go ahead and get into it. So my sources for this episode include, of course, Wikipedia. So I've got the Wikipedia page for Mariah Carey, her movie and soundtrack Glitter, as well as Nick Cannon. And then I also have Astro Theme and Advanced Astrology as my sources, as well as page six, Fox News. And then I have like two kind of like tabloid sources, thethings.com and radar.com. I think the reason I was curious about doing Mariah Carey, obviously I was looking for New Year's themed like scandals and her lip syncing fiasco from like 2017 came up. And I feel like every sort of pop icon from her era had a lip syncing thing, so it wasn't really super juicy to me. But if you're on social media, you've seen a Mariah Carey meme. And I don't mean to offend anybody when I say this, but Mariah Carey is a little bit ahead of my time or not. Well, I guess I think the point that I'll make at the end of this is that she was kind of ahead of everyone's time. But her era is before my time. Like, you know, I'm 24 and she was making music before I was born. So um, I'm not up to snuff entirely with all of her life story. And so I was like, why is Mariah Carey like this big meme? Obviously her Christmas song is a big deal. Um, Everybody on social media is like, she's such a diva. And so I was like, what is this about? Like, is there actually some substance there? So we're gonna talk about Mariah Carey's life. Um, She does have a memoir out, I haven't read it, but she talks a lot about her life. Her family has said that some of it is exaggeration. Um, we'll get to it later on. But so I haven't read it and I didn't want to pull in too much from it, even though I did pull in some stuff from some tabloids. Again, you know how like magazines and shit are. It's not necessarily the most factual stuff ever, but I just I sorted I cited where I got those from those sources. And you can refer there if you would like to look. So Mariah Carey is an American singer, songwriter, actress, and record producer, and she was born on March 27th, 1969 in Huntington, New York. And so I was curious about her birth chart. And so I looked on Astro Theme and AdvancedAstrology.com, and her birth chart says that she has an Aries sun, a Cancer moon, a Taurus rising, and her midheaven is in Capricorn. And I also have that same midheaven, so I was like, okay, like, I guess I'm a little bit of a diva too. And I can see that. Um, If your midheaven is in Capricorn, then you mean business. Okay. So like your midheaven, from my understanding is like, that's what you're like working towards in life. Like that's 
the direction you're heading towards. So like you're going to become like a CEO boss bitch essentially. Um, so Midheaven and Capricorn people, they love taking charge. They're really good at taking charge. It says that they often develop work ethics and have laser focus as you grow older. But at a young age, you perceive the world as very harsh. You're competitive. You feel like you have to prove yourself. Ambitious, extremely dedicated to goals. And I resonate with all of this. Um, life throws challenges at you that test your patience, all of that kind of stuff, forced to overcome things. And I feel like that, as we're going to get into her story, I think that's the reason that I brought that up. So Mariah is the youngest of three children born to Patricia Hickey or Patricia Carey, um, formerly Hickey. She was a former opera, sing- <laughs> former opera singer. Gosh, there's a lot of tongue twisters in these notes today. Um, She was a singer, a vocal coach, and she was of Irish descent, and she married Alfred Roy Carey, who is Mariah's father, and he was an aeronautical engineer of African-American and Black Venezuelan-American lineage, and Patricia's family did disown her for marrying a Black man, so Mariah was the last born in 1969, so her older siblings were obviously born before that, and so I guess it's like civil rights movement era, post-civil rights. Um, So I don't think this was unheard of. Unfortunately, racial aggressions did affect the Carey family. And supposedly when they still lived in Huntington, their neighbors poisoned their family dog and set fire to their car. And so a lot of my main source for this section is Wikipedia. Her parents did divorce and Mariah ended up not seeing very much of her father. Her and her brother stayed with their mother. And then her sister went and lived with their dad. And their mother ended up working multiple jobs to support the family. And Mariah started singing around the age of three is what I've seen in the sources. Um, Obviously, her mother was a singer and a vocal coach. During her school years, Mariah was very artsy. You know, she was writing poetry. She was writing song lyrics. Her mother was training her so that she could be a singer. And I think Mariah said herself that her mom never actually forced her to be like an opera singer. She wasn't like, you need to go this route. She was very supportive of her. So in high school, she's working on like a demo tape. She's like, I'm going to be a singer one day. And she actually ended up missing a lot of school. And apparently her classmates called her the Mirage, which kind of sent me down a rabbit hole, which we're going to do a bonus episode on about um, musicians and celebrities that have like weird nicknames. So Hold on to that. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it. So Mariah graduated in 1987, and she had been networking in the Long Island music scene, and she had developed her demo. She decided she was going to move to New York City, where she worked part-time jobs. She also completed 500 hours of beauty school, and she shared a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan with four other roommates. So that just sounds like hell, actually. All right, so she's like, you know... In Manhattan, she's about to chase her dreams. I want to start talking to you guys about her music career. We're going to break it up. This is kind of how I saw it done online. It was broken up by like eras of her music career. So we'll start with 1988 to 1992. So she lands a gig as a backup singer for a freestyle singer, Brenda K. Starr. And in 1988, she went to a Christmas party with Brenda where she had her demo tape and she ran into Tommy Mottola. He later becomes her first husband. We'll get to that in a second. But he was the head of Columbia Records under Sony. She gives him her demo tape. He's like, haha, this is cool. Thank you. He goes and he listens to it after the party. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, 
this is really fucking good. So he's like, I'm going to go back to the party and find her. She's already left. It's like 1988. So, you know, they're not calling each other on cell phones and stuff. They can't track each other down quite as easy as we can now. I'm like, oh, the good old days. You can't disappear anymore. You just can't do it. Which in this case, obviously, she didn't want to disappear. But I would enjoy that if I could just disappear. But anyway, so I think it said it took like two weeks for him to find her. They meet up and they're like, let's make this thing happen. So Columbia signs Carrie onto the label and they start promoting her as like their main female uh, singer on their roster. She's competing with people like Whitney Houston and Madonna and she's like just starting out her music career. So Columbia spent upwards of $1 million promoting her first studio album titled Mariah Carey, which I always think is so fun. There's a lot of artists that did that where like their first album is their name, Mariah Carey. And I'm like, yeah, girl, I would do the same thing. So I have a little bit of stats about this because we're going to be like not ragging on Mariah, but I was like basically pulling up all her dirty laundry. So I also want to put in some of the good things that, you know, some of her awards and achievements. And she's honestly had so many that there's basically no way I could put them all in here. So they're just sprinkled throughout. But her first album eventually topped the Billboard 200 for 11 consecutive weeks after her appearance on the 33rd annual Grammy Awards. She won the award for Best New Artist and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance for her single, Vision of Love. The album's singles all topped the U.S. Billboard 100. Mariah Carey was the best-selling album in the United States in 1991 and achieved worldwide sales of 15 million copies. All right, so that's insane. That's her first album, right? Basically, the gist of how things go from this point on is, like, her first album performed so well. And it took a little bit. Like, it wasn't, like, just, you know, released and everyone knows who Mariah Carey is. Like, people didn't really know who she was yet. So the album's released. People have to get to know who she is. And it just blows up exponentially. And this is kind of unheard of. This is, like, immediate success right at the beginning of her music career And because of this, people have this, like, specific standard of how they view her. And they were pretty much – they were highly critical of anything else that she put out afterwards. It's like they're having this, like, really high standard. And I'm not saying that, like, her first album was the highest standard of Mariah Carey's work and everything else isn't up to standard. But, like, she had an album. People liked it, obviously. And then anything else after that, people wanted to scrutinize. And she was so young at this time, too. She's fucking talented, but every album and interview from here on out is, like, scrutinized by the public. Everything received mixed reviews. She could never do anything right. And I think another theme that we'll see in her career is that she would do something and it would get bad reviews initially. And then years later, people are like, what what were these reviews talking about? Like, this is actually, like, gold. This is a masterpiece. And so... As we know, art is subjective. I also think it has to do with the atmosphere that was going on for pop stars and um, women, especially in the media in the early 2000s, as we'll see. But let's keep going. So the next year after Mariah Carey came out, she wrote, recorded, and produced her second studio album, Emotions. And after this album came out, she didn't tour. And Mariah claims that it was because she had stage fright about performing her her vocally challenging material. 
Now, this is from Wikipedia. Carrie possesses a five-octave vocal range and has the ability to reach notes beyond the seventh octave. I don't know what this means, but I think this means she can sing very high. So regarding her voice type, she said that she is a contralto, although several critics have said, you know, she's a coloratura light lyric soprano. I don't know what that means. This is from Wikipedia. She claims that she has nodules on her vocal cords, and she's had them since childhood. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> but because of this, she can sing in a higher register than others. But tiredness, sleep deprivation, her diet, stress levels, all of that can affect the way that she sings. And so she has to balance this out while she's singing. And she stated in a 2021 interview, actually, with the Daily Express that with her voice, it's all about timing, vocal rest, and sleep, which... I think is valid. I think it's incredible the way people can do different things with their voices. I don't sing. I kind of sing, but like I don't sing like a professional, so I don't know exactly what goes into that kind of stuff. But I feel like that makes sense. Like that are it's like organs and muscles and all sorts of stuff in your throat. It makes sense that like you need to have optimal conditions to hit the optimal notes, in my opinion. So like I said, she didn't tour after her second album, Emotions, came out. She said she had stage fright. She was nervous about hitting her vocally challenging notes. Others thought it was because she was actually never able to hit those notes organically at all. Like they thought it was entirely generated within the studio, her perfect pitch, her five octave vocal range. Like they're like, there's no way that you can do that. You're just a studio worm, whatever that means. So to combat this, Mariah came out and she did a live performance on MTV Unplugged. And this is where artists would perform acoustic versions of their songs with no studio equipment, none of that. And it was a huge success. She performed seven songs. And it was actually so good that they produced an EP of it and sold it. And her episode on MTV Unplugged was aired more than three times as often as the average episode. So some people have noted that unlike her counterparts, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, she actually writes and produces her own music. And this kind of makes up for her lack of like exciting stage presence. And people say that she has kind of a bland performance because they, some people say, speculate it's because of the stage fright, which like she was open about having stage fright. She says that it's because she's more focused on the quality of her being able to hit those challenging chords, which I think all of that makes sense. You know, not every single person's going to get on stage and be this like bright and shining star. That's why some people don't sing the songs that they write because they don't have the stage presence for it. So they write songs for people who do have the stage presence for it. You know, there's different strokes for different folks. Regardless, Carrie has set and broken countless Billboard records, and she's one of the most influential international pop icons in history. So this next chunk of time is from 1993 to 1996. So on June 5th of 1993, at 24 years old, Mariah marries Tommy Mottola, who at the time was 43 years old. And if you know me, you know that I am like, you know, I'm an advocate for the age gap. I'm not going to like shame that, but I feel like there are some other factors at play that make this a little complicated. So like we mentioned earlier, Tommy is the head of Columbia Records. He basically discovered her. And now they're married. So they bought a huge custom-built mansion together. And I saw this in an interview. I thought it would be interesting to sprinkle in. So 
Mariah was interviewed on Meghan Markle's podcast, and she told Meghan that basically, like, growing up, her and her brother and her mom would crash at, like, her mom's boyfriend's places, bounce from place to place until their stay was no longer welcome. Their boy, The boyfriend could just be like, hey, like, you got to go get out of my house, or if they break up, like, you know how that goes. So when she made it on her own, she was like, I'm not letting that happen I'm going to own my home or own a part of it. And so she paid for half of their custom-built mansion because she didn't want to be able to be, like, put out of her house. And I think that that's a very bad bitch move on her part. So in this time frame as well, she releases Music Box. This also gets mixed reviews, yet it's one of her best-selling albums. She also released Merry Christmas, which was the one. You know, the All I Want for Christmas is You song, that was the album that it came out on. So this became the best-selling Christmas album of all time with global sales of over 15 million copies. And this is a quote from Wikipedia. I'm going to read it to you. The lead single, All I Want for Christmas is You, became a holiday standard and continues to surge in popularity each holiday season. By October 2017, it had become the 11th best-selling single in modern music. In 2019, 25 years after the song's release, it finally peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for the first time, and it has continued to do so every December since. So this is the first song in history to hold the top position in more than two different chart years, as well as the longest running holiday number one song, which was eight weeks. Additionally, it is the longest running number one song on the Billboard Holiday 100, spending 44 cumulative weeks of the charts 49 weeks since the list launched in 2011. I mean, this is like every Christmas for like the last five years, if you go on social media, you're gonna see Mariah Carey. So it doesn't surprise me. She's having all sorts of success. She's recently married to her essential boss. It's 1995 and her fifth album, Daydream, comes out. And this is when she starts to kind of break away from her like sweet girl pop image and get a little bit more into like the R&B hip hop side of things, which um, at the time was met with a little bit of resistance by some people because Mariah had this like ambiguous race thing going on and remember this is like the early 2000s um and we'll talk a little bit more about like the impact that mariah had on society like racially as a woman like coming up from her background so she's kind of making this transition and this causes tension with columbia records because she's shying away from like the original image that they had signed her on for And this also causes issues between Mariah and her husband, Tommy, because unfortunately their relationship is pretty intertwined with her music career and her image. In 1996, Mariah went on her first international tour, and Forbes named her as the top-earning female musician of 1996, collecting an estimated $32 million. And I have said female multiple times in this episode. I kind of hate that word. I guess when people use it in like a derogatory sense, like, I hate when females, meh, meh, meh. And I've just been saying it as it's been like presented in, you know, these situations in my research. So yeah, that's why I'm saying that. So, you know, she's going on tour, whatever, but she's breaking away from this image. Tensions are rising in her marriage. And then in that interview I had just mentioned with Meghan Markle, Mariah stated that Tommy was very controlling during their marriage. And She felt like she was locked away, he was overprotective of her and her image, and she compared him to a father figure or a prison warden, not a husband, so like 
two things that you definitely don't want your husband to feel like are your dad and a prison warden. So I saw like some of these tabloidy type sources, people were trying to defend him and be like, she was a new star and she needed a mentor and he did that for her and like she shouldn't feel that way. She should be more appreciative. And like I get that. But also, I don't think that, like, mentors marry their mentees usually. Like, I think a line was crossed along the way somewhere, and so I don't really think that argument matters anymore. I mean, he's 20 years her senior. He's basically responsible for the success of her career at this point. He's also her boss. He's an incredibly influential person in the music industry where she's trying to make her livelihood. It feels like he has the upper hand in the scenario. So I don't have all the details on their marriage because I have a lot of stuff to get through in this episode. And if I had all the details, it'd be like a million years long. But I have seen different articles talking about it. And she has come out even recently saying that he was abusive toward her. She's also said that he has had like security cameras on her. I don't know for a fact what happened, but regardless, they were incompatible. And in mid-1997, after four years of marriage, they did decide to separate and file for divorce. Their custom-built, beautiful mansion that they had together was sold, and it was actually, I don't know if it was intentionally burned down or if there was an accidental fire, but in 1999, their mansion burned down, and I feel like that's like a metaphor for their relationship. Stuff is about to get heavy. So between 1997 and 2004, that is the time frame that we're looking at right now. So on her next album, Butterfly, Carrie collaborated with Sean Combs, Q-Tip, Missy Elliott, Jean-Claude Oliver, and Samuel Barnes from Trackmasters. And on this album, she didn't do quite so much of like her higher pitched, higher octave music chords, (laughs) words. Some people were like, oh, this is like, you know, a sign of maturity, a sign that she doesn't need to use all these high pitched squeals to like get her point across. And other people were like, oh, it just means that she can't hit those notes anymore. So, of course, like I said, all of this public scrutiny every time she puts out a project. At this point, she just has one album left in her contract that she has to complete in order to fulfill her contract with Columbia Records. So she completed her last album with them, Rainbow, in just three months. She was like, fuck this. I'm getting this over with. She doesn't want to be associated with Tommy Mottola anymore. She doesn't want to be associated with Columbia Records. She wants to do her own thing. And I can imagine that that's difficult, like going into the music industry so early into your, like you're, she was literally so young, like 23, 24. I guess at this point, she's a little bit older, but you go into it and like these people are trying to make you a star. And so they kind of like have a certain idea of how it's supposed to go and it takes away some of your creative liberties. So Some more fun facts for you about her. During this time, she received Billboard's Artist of the Decade Award and the World Music Award for Best Selling Pop Female Artist of the Millennium. She parted from Columbia Records and she signed her unprecedented $100 million five album recording contract with Virgin Records in April of 2001. So this is when she starts working on her movie Glitter and there was an accompanying album that went with it titled Glitter. It was actually originally called All That Glitters, but they changed it to Glitter. And this movie was set in 1983. It's supposed to be like post-disco era. And Mariah basically had the entire creative control of this film. And so 
From researching this, my understanding is that she, like, started working on this while she was still at Columbia and, like, took it with her over to Virgin because it was, like, her thing because there's a little bit of, like, a crossover between working with Tommy. So this is from Wikipedia. So she had started actually writing, developing, and recording material for Glitter in 2000. And she developed the concept for her single, Lover Boy, which we'll talk about some more throughout this episode. But originally, Carrie had sampled the melody and hook from the 1978 Yellow Magic Orchestra song, Firecracker, using an interpolation of it throughout the chorus and the introduction and an early, like, you know, trailer releases for Glitter and like ads for Glitter, they used the original version of her song Lover Boy, which had this sample. Enter drama. So as Carrie ended her contract with Columbia Records and she's like breaking up with Tommy, Jennifer Lopez was signed by Tommy and had begun recording material for her album J-Lo, which came out in 2001. So according to record producer Irv Gotti, Tommy knew that Mariah was using the sample of Firecracker in her movie soundtrack, and he attempted to have J-Lo basically use the same sample before Mariah had the chance to release her soundtrack. And at the time, Mariah had become increasingly paranoid for all the reasons we've talked about already. Like, Tommy's this big shot in the music industry. She's a young woman trying to make it. But anyway, so she's, like, concerned that outside executives are going to know about what she's working on, steal her ideas, whatever, whatever, whatever. And Jennifer Lopez ends up using the sample of the song. So when the music publishers for Firecracker were questioned, they did say that Mariah Carey had licensed usage of the sample first. And she was actually the first artist to ever license a sample of that song. But Lopez had signed for it over a month later, and under this arrangement... J-Lo's album was coming out before Glitter and the soundtrack was coming out. So basically, J-Lo got to use the sample and Mariah was like, I can't put out like the same song, essentially. And so she had to change it. Um, They ended up using a new sample of Candy by Cameo and the Firecracker sample was used in Lopez's song, I'm Real. So according to Gotti, Tommy had contacted him with instructions to create the murder remix of I'm Real to sound exactly like another one of Mariah's songs that was on the Glitter soundtrack, and it was titled If We, and it has Ja Rule and Nate Dog on it. So basically, he's got Tommy purposefully made two of J-Lo's songs sound like songs that he knew that Mariah Carey had already worked on, already recorded for her Glitter soundtrack just to purposefully make things harder for her, make it look like she's not original, all that good stuff. Unfortunately, she had to change it. Like, she didn't really have any other choice. And so she's already, like, stressed out about all this stuff. You know, it's early 2000s. Like, people are wanting to, like, pin them against each other. It's a little – it's tacky. In 2020, though, actually, I think she did release – yeah, so on her 2020 compilation album, The Rarities – She did release the original song. You know, it had been 20 years later. She's like, I'm going to just release it at this point. Like, the drama is out there. People know what happened. This is the song I was going to release. And so she did that kind of as like an act of redemption, if you will. So basically, Matola was incredibly petty, was just trying to make things difficult for Mariah, cause drama between her and J-Lo. And actually, during this time, this is like an iconic pop moment. When asked about J-Lo in an interview, Mariah was like, I don't know her, which is what I say when people say, oh, are you Zoe McDaniel? I say, I don't know her. I don't, it's Zoe. I don't know who Zoe is. 
Um, this clip became a viral internet meme, and it like obviously caused some drama. Interview, but interviews between both of them came out, and like it was a whole thing. Mariah later came out and was like, I actually don't know her. Like, I wasn't trying to insult her. She was like, I've, I don't know her at the time. I don't know. I'm assuming that they've probably spoken or, like, seen each other now at this point. But at the time, she clarified that she really didn't know J-Lo. So, pettiness. All right, so this is all happening early 2001. In July of 2001, Mariah has a really rough month, essentially, that kind of defined her career Unfortunately, it really shouldn't have, but you know, it's it's similar to like a Britney moment. So on July 19th, Mariah was on Total Request Live with Carson Daly, and this interview is talked about a lot. Um people talk about Mariah's quote breakdown, her diva behavior, and they always want to refer to this interview. And so I watched the YouTube video of it and like it's honestly pretty tame. Like looking back on it with like a 2022 lens, it's really not anything that's that crazy, but I can see how in early 2001, people were like, oh my gosh, Mariah's lost her mind. So people say that on this interview, she stripped. She did not strip. She had on a big t-shirt that she took off to show like an outfit underneath. They called her outfit a green and gold ensemble. She's literally just wearing like a green shirt and some gold booty shorts. Like it's really nothing crazy. So basically what happened is they're, like, showing Carson Daly on the screen. He's either, like, going to a commercial break or coming back from a commercial break, but Mariah's off screen, and you just, like, hear her start singing. And Carson's like, what's that? Like, acting confused. And then she comes out from, like, backstage. She's wearing this big oversized T-shirt with, like, airbrushed words that say lover boy on it. She's trying to promote her new single for Glitter that hasn't come out yet at this point. And she's pushing, like, a little ice cream cart, like, the type that people push down the sidewalk and, like, sell you ice cream out of. And she comes out. She's, like, giving out ice cream to people in the crowd. And everyone, like, the crowd is obviously excited. They're like, oh, my God, it's Mariah Carey and ice cream. And they're acting like this is, like, the most insane thing to ever happen on television at this point in time. So she gets out there, and Carson is acting like he – doesn't know why she's there. And, like, later on, Mariah came out and was like, Carson, like, that was a part of the stunt. Like, he knew that I was going to be there. He was just trying to act surprised. And it wasn't well-received by people. Um, so, anyways, she gets out there. She Carson's like, what's going on? And she's telling Carson, she's like, this is kind of like a form of therapy for me. And I feel like, like, people took that so seriously. And they're like, she's fucking crazy. I feel like she was just saying that she was trying to, like, let loose and have some fun, like, be a little crazy, you know, just have a good time. She also told Carson that she just wanted one day off to go swimming, to look at rainbows, eat ice cream, and learn how to ride a bicycle. And I'm like, girl, same. She said she, said she doesn't know how to ride a bike. Like, I don't know how to ride a bike either, girl. It's that Capricorn in Midheaven or Midheaven in Capricorn. I don't know what the proper way to say it is. They also, like, finished up the, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The segment by reading a letter that Mariah's mother had, like, sent. It was, like, a headshot autograph or something like that. I don't know, that she had sent to Carson Daly. It was, like, cute and silly. They talk a little bit about, like, her upcoming glitter soundtrack and movie. And that's basically it. But, like, they thought it was so crazy. And I feel like this is, like, a perfect example of what it must have been like to, like, be a young woman, a young pop star in the early 2000s. The high media coverage, the publicity, 
it was like they just couldn't breathe. They couldn't just like be a normal person or not even just a normal person. They just couldn't do anything without people like freaking out about it and like getting on their backs about it. And that's why we see so many pop stars from this era. Like I think of um, obviously Mariah, we have Britney, we have Amanda Bynes, like all of these young women that were supposedly like loved, like America's sweetheart type women. And then we just destroy them. So after this appearance on Total Request Live, People are saying that she's exhibiting, quote, erratic behavior. On July 20th, this is like a day later, right? Yeah, July 20th, she had a record signing for the CD single of Loverboy, which is so crazy. Like, why did we do that? It's so weird that there would be like a single song on a CD. But she was at Roosevelt Field Shopping Mall in Long Island. She's doing the the signing of the CD. And there was a camera crew that was there and she started talking about a bunch of different stuff, but specifically she mentioned how radio host Howard Stern had joked about her on um, Total Request Live and she said it bothered her and she was like, everything in life should just be generally positive. Like people shouldn't be talking about me this way. And it breaks my heart because I feel like she, like in all of this so far, she hasn't really like done anything for people to be so like, apprehensive to her like she just wants people to be nice to her (laughs) and I do too and it was at this point that Carrie's publicist Cindy Berger grabs a microphone and she's like she's not speaking clearly she's not talking about what she came here to talk about so like don't film this so days later she has like her website right and she goes on there and she starts posting these notes saying and this is one is a quote I'm trying to understand things in life right now and so I don't really feel that I should be doing music right now What I'd like to do is just take a little break or at least get one night of sleep without someone popping up about a video. All I really want is to just be me, and that's what I should have done in the first place. I don't say this much, but but guess what? I don't take care of myself. And so this obviously scared a lot of people. This was not something that pop stars or celebrities were doing in general. Like, they weren't being honest. I feel like nowadays we get, you know, we have a different environment about mental health. We're much more accepting and open about it. And obviously, it still can be a hostile environment out there for people dealing with mental health problems. But um, I think it's much more common for us to like log on to Instagram or some form of social media and see like a notes app of a celebrity being like, hey, like I'm taking a break. I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. And then everyone's like, okay, cool. But back then, we didn't have social media like that. The internet is new. She has a website and she goes on there herself and puts this note. And so all her fans are like, whoa, what the fuck? And she's already kind of been having all this bad media press. So people are very concerned. And they quickly removed this. Her Cindy Berger, her publicist, and like her team, they removed this. And they said that she had, quote, obviously been exhausted and not thinking clearly when she posted the letters. And I think while she may have been exhausted, and maybe she wasn't thinking clearly, let her post the letters. She's a grown woman. Like, let her be an example for people that it's okay to be vulnerable about how you're feeling. This shit pisses me off. On July 26th, Mariah is hospitalized. And she was put in the hospital due to exhaustion and a, quote, physical and emotional breakdown. Now, I think this is a combination of multiple things. I think it's a combination of her music career taking off exponentially right as it started. You know, her stressful and public divorce from a music industry leader, Tommy Mottola, who basically built up her career. 
Um, he's powerful in the industry as well. The new drama that's potentially happening between her and J-Lo, the stealing of her music that is like her baby, like that movie and her soundtrack. She writes and records her own music and now she's doing all this and you're taking that from her. That has to be heartbreaking and sad. She's got the people in the public judging her music and press appearances, scrutinizing everything that she does. And on top of that, like that's just the stuff that we know as the general public. Like she could also be dealing with stuff in her personal life that nobody knew about at the time. So it doesn't surprise me that she needed to take a break and go get some help. So news websites and programs began reporting how Mariah had threatened to commit suicide. She supposedly slit her wrist the night before and her mother was very concerned about her and called to have her admitted essentially. And when questioned about this, her publicist claimed that she had just broken dishes out of desperation, like, you know, I'm fed up and like slammed the dishes down and as a result cut her hands and feet. And I don't know if that has ever been clarified as to whether it was a genuine attempt or if that is the real story. I don't think it really matters. It's not really any of our business. Following her stay at the hospital, she was there for about two weeks and then she kind of took an extended absence from the public eye. In 2018, she actually came out and did an interview with People Magazine. She disclosed that she had been diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And so she had kept that to herself for a very long time, and I'm glad that she was able to keep that part of her life private because so much of her life doesn't seem like it's private. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm happy that she was able to keep that for herself. Um, she did open up, open up about therapy sessions and medication for her diagnosis. Let's get back to Glitter, like the movie. So this movie was really stressful for her. Virgin Records and 20th Century Fox did delay the release of Glitter and its soundtrack because of her time at the hospital. Unfortunately, upon release of the album and the movie, it was not well received by critics and the public. People did not like it. They said that it failed to capture the genuine 1980s theme they thought there were way too many guest appearances. Some of those people include Eric Benet, Ludacris, DeBrat, Busta Rhymes, Fabulous, and Ja Rule. So the soundtrack at this time was Carrie's lowest selling album. And several um, songs apparently were like more sexual and a little bit more suggestive than she normally would do lyrically, which I'm like, I feel like that's fine. It's a movie. Like, it doesn't have to be like the soundtrack goes with the movie. It doesn't have to be what she always does all the time. Like let the woman be sexy. The St. Louis Post Dispatch dismissed it as quote an absolute mess that'll go down as an annoying blemish on her career. Ugh, I just want to like slap whoever wrote that. So <laughs> something else that went into play. I'm not. It's not funny what I'm about to say, but it's kind of funny. There's another contributing factor as to why the movie didn't do so well. She says it's obviously because her state of mind, like her performance wasn't that great because she was obviously not doing well all of this time period. But also, it was released on 9-11. And so this is a quote that she said, I released it on September 11th, 2001. The talk shows needed something to distract from 9-11. I became a punching bag. I was so successful that they tore me down because my album was at number two instead of number one. The media was laughing at me and attacked me. Now, I think she has a point about 9-11 being a reason why there's not much focus and attention on her album because it's now associated with 9-11 and it's like 
people are distracted with other things. They're not really concerned with her at the moment. But I feel like that quote was like a little weird. Like, I don't think it's as much about her as maybe she felt like it was. I think it was just bad timing. Vulture writer Matthew Jacobs noted that there were two dynamics at play that really impacted her. One, 9-11. People were not going to like the movie theater after that. People weren't in like a happy, jolly mood. And people particularly, too, did not want to go see what they were viewing as like celebrity fluff. And that's what he said. And I agree with that. Like nobody wants to go see this like super mushy gushy happy go lucky celebrity movie like i personally i don't i'm not one who gets like all hyped up and excited about a like celebrity cameo and guest appearances or if like a musician decides they're going to go be like a actor like i don't i don't give a shit i think some people do but i think a lot of people also are probably in the same boat as me and so this leads me to another more recent experience. So in 2022, she performed at the Global Citizen Festival in New York City. And it's been going viral on like TikTok and stuff. That video of Mariah, she's like performing and then she goes, but you don't want to hear about 9-11. And then the crowd is like, what? And everyone seems so confused. So I just think it's so funny. I'll probably try to post it. So she paid tribute to 9-11 during her performance, and she said, quote, I was honored to have played a little teeny part in the aftermath of that day as my song Hero became one of the unofficial anthems. So she definitely has, like, I mean, at that point, I guess you do kind of have to embrace it because, like, you can't really be, like, separated from it. But I just thought that was funny because I had been seeing that video, and I was like, literally, what is this? Like, why is she talking about 9-11? But I get it now. Okay, so retrospective reviews of Glitter, like I have mentioned, we're going to see this again, they've been largely positive with many people saying that the album was actually really good and that people like back in the day just didn't really appreciate it. So today Glitter actually has a cult following and I think I'm going to watch it because I'm just curious, like why not? In November of 2018, actually, the album Glitter became the subject of a campaign by Mariah Carey fans as a part of the buildup for her 15th studio album, Caution. And so there was like a hashtag, Justice for Glitter, and it actually garnered so much attention that it made the album number one in the iTunes albums charts in several countries, and including the United States, and top 10 in several countries worldwide. So it did have its heyday, which we see a lot with Mariah's work. Regardless, Glitter was viewed as a commercial and critical failure, and eventually Virgin Records did cancel their $100 million contract with Mariah Carey, and they bought her out for $28 million and dropped her from the label. So basically, this was due to the low sales of the album, the you know poor success of the movie, as well as the negative publicity surrounding her breakdown. And she described her time at Virgin as a complete and total stress fest. This is a quote. I made a total snap decision, which was based on money, and I never make decisions based on money. I learned a big lesson from that. Afterwards, she signed a contract with Island Records, valued at more than $24 million, and she launched the record label Monarchy. So after all this, her ninth album, Charm Bracelet, comes out. Again, people give mixed reviews. They're really harsh on her vocals. And that is up to 2004. Wow, she has so much going on in her life. 
Okay, so from 2005 to 2014, I would say that this is like mostly calm waters. There's not so much going on. She's got a bunch of albums that come out because like I mentioned a second ago, she's got like 15. So The Emancipation of Mimi comes out. People liked this one. E equals MC squared came out. Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. She has a role in the movie Precious, which people really liked. Merry Christmas to You and Me came out. I am Mariah, the elusive Chanteuse. Chanteuse, I don't know how to say it. She's got more movie roles, more performances. So all this stuff is coming out. Mostly well-received. Some of it is kind of, you know, like I said, mixed reviews. In 2008, she marries Nick Cannon, which I completely missed somewhere along the line. Like, I didn't know they were ever married I, I Like I said, these people, they're a little before my time, so it's not something I'm, like, super caught up on. But they have twins together. Um, they did separate and file for divorce in 2014 because basically there was, like, some drama about cheating and affairs. And supposedly Mariah had, like, been cheating on Nick with rapper Jeezy in 2008. So it's a bit of a mess. And that's from Radar. And then from thethings.com, supposedly Nick and Mariah's nanny took Nick to court for depriving her of overtime charges and premium wages. So she said that they basically worked her more than the legal standard and they didn't compensate her for that. And I'm not sure where that stands today. All right. So now I'm just going to keep telling you more controversial things that have happened in this time frame of 2005 to 2014. So in 2008, Mariah performed in a New Year's Eve concert for the family of Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, and she later said that she felt, quote, horrible and embarrassed to have taken part in this concert, and so to make amends, they took the royalties of her song Save the Day, which was on her 14th studio album, and they donated it to charities to create awareness for human rights. Okay, another thing that happened in 2009 after her song Obsessed came out Critics heavily compared the lyrics to similar lyrics that Eminem had wrote about her in several different songs, actually. He had referenced her. So basically, they're saying that her song Obsession is about Eminem being obsessed with her. And though she never says his name, people think it's pretty clear because apparently they've been beefing since like 2001 because supposedly they had like some sort of secret love affair and Eminem says, he's like, yeah, we did have a thing. And she's like, we never did, which doesn't surprise me because we'll get a little bit more into her dating life. But I think she's pretty private about her dating life. So if they did date, like I can see why she would keep it on the low if it was something that was quick and didn't pan out well, especially because he does not speak kindly of her at all. Like he says that she's too high maintenance. She's a diva. He had no patience for her. He just didn't like her, all that kind of stuff. In 2011, Child Protective Services was called on Carrie after there were supposedly, like, reports of her drinking and using drugs while she was breastfeeding her twins. And, like, I, it's, there was, like, a quote, like, a nurse suggested to um, – this is from Nick Cannon, actually. He said that a nurse told her that if she drinks Guinness or a small amount of Guinness, that dark beer, that yeast improves breastfeeding. And, like, then this whole thing came out where people were saying that she was drinking beer and breastfeeding and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know if that ever came up into anything either, but you can look that up and see it's like, it'll be like an article. It's like Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon drinking and boozing in the hospital room or something crazy. During 2013, Mariah Carey and Nicki Minaj were both hosts on American Idol and they would supposedly get into verbal fights. I am not like a huge American Idol person. I don't really give a shit about those like, I mean, as a kid I did, but like American Idol... Dancing with the stars, so you think you can dance, like all that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of like, 
I don't know. The competitions don't really do it for me. But they would get into fights on the show, apparently. I haven't seen them. And Mariah Carey said in an interview with Barbara Walters that she hired additional security guards during this time, which, like, if I'm beefing with Nicki Minaj, I'm also hiring additional security guards. Also, in 2013, human rights activists criticized Carey for performing in a concert for Angela's father-daughter kleptocracy and accused her of accepting dictator cash. And in 2015, Mariah was engaged to James Packer. They have since split up, but when they got engaged, they had decided that they were going to sign a prenup with a $50 million payoff. And they never actually signed the prenup. Supposedly, this is from thethings.com. But Mariah still charged him the $50 million. She also demanded a house in Calabasas and would not return her $10 million engagement ring because of the inconvenience. So I'm not sure if that is true either, but this like whole little section of her controversies is just stuff that you can find online. In 2016, this is like what came up when I was looking for a topic and this is why I picked her. So the December 31st, 2016, so into the 2017 New Year, Mariah performed on Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve in Times Square. And basically, there were some technical difficulties, her ear in-ear monitors malfunctioned, and she was lip-syncing, I guess, and it just turned into, like, a horrible shit show. And she said that her inability to hear the music without her in-ear feedback was the cause of why, like, the vocals and stuff didn't sync up properly. Her representatives and Dick Clark Productions placed blame on each other. She told off the sound crew for ruining her performance, supposedly. This is, like, on the list of reasons why she's a, quote, diva. But I would be mad, too. Like, it's fucking New Year's Eve and everybody's watching this shit. I'm fucking Mariah Carey. You have to make my show look good. It's your one job. Like, I don't blame her. I would be pissed off, too. 2017, she was able to redeem herself. So for the new year that year going to 2018, she did have what they call a, quote, made-for-television act of pop culture redemption. So she was able to perform. Everything went smoothly. It was well-received. And she redeemed herself. 2018 to 2021, and then we're going to talk about why her family hates her. (laughs) So apparently Mariah's former manager, and this is from Radar. I don't know. Like I said, tabloids. Stella... Bulognikov is threatening, this was her former manager, she threatened Mariah Carey with a legal battle, um, claiming that Mariah was sexually inappropriate, battled substance abuse, and had other issues during their time together. Mariah denies these claims. In January of 2019, Mariah performed in Saudi Arabia, which drew backlash, and basically... The reason people were upset was because Mariah Carey has been positioned in the queer community as, like, a huge gay icon. And homosexuality in Saudi Arabia is punishable by death. So people were like, what the fuck are you doing, Mariah? Like, this isn't cool. And she was pressured to cancel the performance. But she actually – oh, and also because of the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi and because of Saudi Arabia's imprisonment of feminists. So there was, like, multiple factors at play of why people didn't want her to go there. But – She went there and her publicist said that presented with the offer, this is a quote, presented with the offer to perform for an international and mixed gender audience in Saudi Arabia, Mariah accepted the opportunity as a positive step towards the dissolution of gender segregation. As the first female international artist to perform in Saudi Arabia, 
Mariah recognizes the cultural significance of this event and will continue to support global efforts towards equality for all. So, like, I am not mad at that. Like, I'm like, all right. Like, I guess I can see where people would be like, well, she just wants the money. But it also, like, maybe it would help (laughs) ease tensions. I don't know. Like, sometimes you have to be the change that you want to see. Maybe that's ignorant of me to say. I mean, it's all, like, pop culture fluff anyway. Obviously not the, like, social injustices, but, like, just Mariah Carey, like, performing music, you know? In January of 2020, it was announced that she would be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame during that year's ceremony, and in March of 2021, she attempted to trademark the phrase, quote, Queen of Christmas, and it was actually just rejected in November of this year, 2022, which I don't understand why. Let me tell you why her siblings hate her. So Mariah Carey's brother, Morgan Carey, says that his mom is to blame for her diva behavior. Supposedly, their mom was a big diva as well. And even Mariah has said that. She's like, my mom was a diva, but like not in a bad way. Like she just taught me like how to act. However, her brother says that our mother set the stage for dysfunctionality. Pat, Patricia, who is his mother, facilitated Mariah having the tools to be the singer, but she also made her an alcoholic. She set the stage for the bipolarity, for the inability to have a healthy, honest relationship with a man, and with this whole fixation on being a diva. So about the bipolar comment, like, you know, I'm not him, but like, she can't really help that part. Um, I mean, she can take medicine for it, but like, she can't help that. And I have seen in a lot of sources that people say that she has a substance abuse issue. So, you know, that's just something to, I guess, keep in mind. Her brother alleges that he has never been around her when she was sober. So Morgan dealt with his own physical and emotional struggles in childhood. He suffered from cerebral palsy and seizures, according to oldest.org. And he ended up actually suing Mariah over claims made in her memoir that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Her memoir is called The Meaning of Mariah Carey. So Morgan said that his reputation was ruined when she detailed a violent encounter between him, his father, and an attack on his mom. And he denies these allegations. He says that Mariah is, quote, an evil witch for letting down their family. It's kind of like the, like, the, okay, so I'm going to tell you about her sister, too, but thinking about, like, them and Mariah, it's, like, the evil, like, it makes me, for some reason, think of Cinderella, like, the, is it Sleeping Beauty? There's some, I guess it is Cinderella, the one where there's, like, the sisters that, like, have all these nice things, and then there's the one that doesn't. Although Morgan did do pretty well for himself, like he went on to be like a a model and like he married an actress or something, but their other sister didn't do too well. So, and not to be like, you know, she's a flop, but I just mean she had like a hard life. So he disclosed, Morgan disclosed to the Daily Mail that Mariah supposedly chose to not visit their sister, Allison, in the hospital when she had an accident and needed surgery. And she also didn't help her when she was diagnosed with HIV. So I don't know what that means. Like, I don't, like, Mariah's not a doctor, but, like, maybe she, like, needed financial help and Mariah didn't help. Um, I'm not sure exactly. So Allison, like I said, she had a rough life. At age 15, she married a man named Richard McDonald, and she became pregnant. And when her son Sean was born, she was forced to drop out of high school. She didn't have an education. She turned to life on the streets, and she became a prostitute. She was divorced, and then she remarried, and then she had another son. And so that's from oldest.org as well. Now, in Mariah's memoir, she says, 
that at 12 years old, Allison introduced her to drugs and street life. This is a quote. When I was 12 years old, my sister drugged me with Valium, offered me a pinky nail full of cocaine, inflicted me with third-degree burns, and tried to sell me out to a pimp. Something in me was arrested by all that trauma. Allison is also suing Mariah Carey over these allegations. So I know that Morgan's case, I think, has already been, like, gone through the court system. I'm not sure about her Allison's or, like, where they stand on that. But she does not have a good relationship with her family. I don't think anyone will ever really know the reality of it because it just feels like a lot of, like, he said, she said type stuff in, like, the book and, like, what they're saying. I mean, it, there's a lot of things to build against Mariah's case, for sure. So some other dramas, and then we're going to wrap up here in a moment. So Mariah is known for having very specific rules for dating. Supposedly, she doesn't have sex on any day except for Monday. Like, that's her let's get freaky day. Every other day, she's busy. Her man is supposed to do, like, chores and stuff around the house, and she likes to pre-schedule her candlelit dinners. So I don't think there's anything wrong with this necessarily. Like, that's not that crazy to me. It's fucking Mariah Carey. Like, she seems like she's a busy woman. So, like, I feel like if you want to be in Mariah Carey's life, you need to be, like, on that level of organization and scheduling and, like, not take that too much into heart. Like, I already – I'm not – okay, I'm comparing myself to Mariah Carey. I am not on Mariah Carey's level, but, like, I'm a busy person, and I probably only have, like, two days a week where if I was dating somebody, I could, like, spend time with them. Like, I don't have the time to just, like – hang out casually with people right now. It's just not happening for me. I'm a busy woman. I'm trying to make things happen, okay? So I get that. I'm not even going to fault her for that one. Supposedly as well, she is, I guess, very lazy. Like she has a reality show now where she has like maids and housekeepers at her side at all times. They're like holding her drinks and feeding her food and like, I guess, pushing her around her home in like a wheelchair or something because she's like lazy. I don't know. This is from one of those tabloid things, okay? Also, she supposedly books separate rooms on her trips when she travels for her luggage. It's Mariah Carey. I feel like that doesn't surprise me. Like, she's a pop star. She's going to have a lot of things with her when she travels. If you've got the money to do it, like, do it. Why does it matter? And I think that's kind of the same thing with the housekeepers and the maids. Like, people need jobs. And if she has the money to, like, give them jobs to just hold her water, like, I don't know. I don't really think – I don't know. I can't imagine what it must be like to have that much money. I can't say that I wouldn't have people around to help me with things as well. And then another thing is that she supposedly has a really bad backstage reputation. She asks assistants to take away her chewed up gum, get bendy straws for her drinks, spring fruit and cheese, etc., etc. She demands specific lighting, camera angles, and temperatures. Again, I can see how, like, maybe in her delivery, like, like outright, those things don't seem bad to me. I'm like, I don't feel like there's anything really wrong with that. Like, she's a fucking superstar. She's a performer. People work at these venues, and they are paid to do these kinds of things. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But maybe if she's, like, being a bitch about it, like, that's the issue. She's like, get me a fucking bendy straw. Like, that's not cool. But if she's like, hey, I want a bendy straw for my drink. I don't really think that's, like, anything to get our panties, like, twisted up in a wad about. Also, this is going to be so funny if she's actually, like, a horrible fucking person and I'm just, like, over here, like, defending her behaviors because we have the same midheaven and I kind of relate. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, give me a bendy straw. 
So I've told you a bunch of bad shit about her. Supposedly, she gives back to the community. She's a philanthropist. She's involved with several charitable communities. She's associated with the Fresh Air Fund. And she's the co-founder of a camp located in Fishkill, New York, that enables inner-city youth to embrace arts and introduces them to career opportunities. So that's from Wikipedia. She has also worked with Make-A-Wish, donates royalties of her songs to different charities and organizations. She's contributed to um, Stopping World Hunger, the queer community. She's contributed to cancer research, 9-11 fundraisers, COVID relief funds, and more. And I wanted to end on this quote because I think that Mariah Carey is a diva. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think she's a pop star. She grew up in that era of like, you know, really special pop stars. I don't really feel like we have that like kind of vibe anymore. Like, you know, there used to be like boy bands and then there was like the pop icon, like diva queen. And I feel like now we don't have as much of these like archetypes because the internet is so accessible and people have blended styles and personas and stuff. But I think that this quote is like a good summary of like her impact on the industry and the world because obviously she has like she's an international star like she's you know top 10 in all sorts of different countries all over the world um so I feel like this just kind of sums up despite all the drama like her impact so Brittany Lucy from Vulture wrote that quote Carrie rose to fame as public conversations about multiracial identity were expanding in the early 90s, noting that the singer became something of an avatar for biracial identity, a validating presence for some, and a source of both curiosity and discomfort for others. This is kind of what I was mentioning earlier. She, Brittany from Vulture concludes that, quote, Carrie's experience of fame could have happened only once. Her stardom punched a hole in the sky. Her career matured as current conversations about mixed identity were still forming. And while the passing narratives of the past, both brilliant and clumsy, had yet to fade from pop cultural memory. There was a time when she might have been considered the most famous mixed person of black and white parentage in America, but now the field's far more crowded. I feel like that's maybe not the best. That's not my wording there. Far more crowded. I feel like that's maybe not the best word to say. Like, I don't think there needs to be crowding of a certain race because <laughs> like she it gives examples it says Zendaya Drake Barack Obama and Meghan Markle so yeah I felt like you know that was a good point like she I didn't really know that much about Mariah Carey I think I knew like three songs I knew Obsessed um We Belong Together and Mary, the all I want for Christmas is you. Like, that's it. Like, I did not know anything else about Mariah Carey except, like, memes and shit. And I was like, what is going on with this woman? I need to know the tea. I knew that she had lip-synced really badly, and that was about it. And like I said, there's probably so much more to her story that, you know, I don't know, that the internet doesn't know. But there's a lot to uncover about this woman. And I think at the end of the day, overall, she's probably had a positive impact on the world, I'm hoping. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. I was also supposed to stop in the middle and plug all of the podcast stuff, so I'll just do that right now. Go ahead and subscribe on YouTube if you're not already. Like and comment on these videos. Share with your friends. Go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon so that you can be prepared for the bonus episodes coming out in the new year. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. You can get your merch at profsgetpodcast.bigcartel.com. You can go to our website at profsgetpodcast.com. And I think that's it. Thank you so much. I love you, skeptics. I will see you next week. 
What's up, skeptics? Thank you so much for being dedicated listeners of Professional Skepticism Podcast. I couldn't do it without you. If you like what we're doing over here at Professional Skepticism, please show your support by doing any of the following. Leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Professional Skepticism Podcast. Subscribe to our Patreon for behind-the-scenes and bonus content at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Get some merch at profsketpodcast.bigcartel.com. Check out our official website at profsketpodcast.com. Follow our Instagram at profsketpodcast. You can find all these links in our Instagram bio or in the episode show notes. We've come so far and our journey has only just begun. Subscribe to make the dream work. Stay sus, skeptics. Mwah.